Warning. Wicked Wanderers is not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, Wanderers, and welcome to Wicked Wanderers. I'm your wicked hostess, Jacqueline. I hope everybody had an amazing Memorial Weekend and went on a adventure. Each week, we travel to a different destination. I discuss a haunted place, some dark tourism as well as some fun things to do while we are there. So pack your bags. We're going to Massachusetts. The Spirit of America. Bordered by Connecticut, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Vermont, and New York. And it is one of the original 13 colonies. It is also where I grew up. Before we get to our first destination, here are some fun facts and strange laws. When you attend awake, you have a three sandwich limit. You are not allowed to give hospital patients beer. Gorillas are only allowed to ride shotgun. They cannot be in your back seat. I would love to see this. Candy may not contain more than 1% of alcohol. Can't have a bunch of kids running around drunk. Tattooing and body piercing is illegal. It is illegal to play the fiddle in Boston. I challenge you to a duel. Duels to the death are permitted on the common on Sundays, provided that the governor is present. In Marlboro, you cannot detonate a nuclear device within the city. Tomatoes may not be used in production of clam chowder. Valid. They do not belong. Well, goddamn, blasphemy can lead you to jail. Street boxing is illegal. You cannot hunt on Sundays. If you drive a taxi, No sex in the front seat while you're on the clock, but the back seat is fair game. Quakers and witches are banned. Well, I feel personally attacked. And no, I'm not a Quaker. Children may smoke, but it's illegal for children to purchase their own cigarettes. Sorry, but you cannot bring your rooster into the bakery. Dogs are forbidden from riding in ambulances. You better take your fake teeth out before you have sex. You don't want to swallow them. Stopping for red lights is not required by law unless they are flashing. In Boston, it is illegal to bathe unless your doctor gives you a prescription. 
but it is also illegal to not bathe before you go to bed. How the fuck's that supposed to work? Squirt guns are illegal to buy or sell and own in Marlboro. Massachusetts has its own state polka called Say Hello to Someone from Mass. The Boston Cream Pie is the official dessert of Massachusetts. The first subway system was in Boston, not New York. The Fig Newton got its name from Newton, Massachusetts. The first park in America was Boston Common. Quincy is home to the first Dunkin' Donuts. The state dog is the Boston Terrier. 01001 was the first zip code ever. The tabby cat is the official cat of Massachusetts. Corn muffins are the state's muffins. I feel like we can do better than that. Seriously, a corn muffin? That's fucking lame. And if it's an unsweetened corn muffin, it's just gross. March 10th, 1876, the first telephone call was made. Chocolate chip cookie was invented by Ruth Graves Wakefield and her husband in 1930 in the Toll House restaurant in Whitman, Massachusetts. In 2003, by court order, Massachusetts became the first state in the country to legalize gay marriage. Way to be progressive. Tupperware was invented in mass by Earl Tupper. The first Thanksgiving was in 1621 in Plymouth. Massachusetts is home to the first railroad. Birth control pills were invented in mass. And it is the birthplace of the American Revolution. Our first destination is in Gloucester. It is a ghost town called Dogtown Commons, filled with witches, werewolves, suicide, and a murder. Welcome to Dogtown. The first settlers in the 1600s fled from the harbor due to pirates and Native American attacks. A hundred families found shelter in the rocky highlands forming the Commons settlement, which was mainly a farming area. It remained intact for nearly a century until after the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812 ended. After the war, many families left. Widows or people that were too poor to leave remained there with many stray dogs that were left behind. All these newly vacant homes would attract dangerous and unsavory people. The area was dubbed Dogtown. Whispers and rumors would begin about the women who were still in Dogtown, that they were witches. Why else would anyone live in such a dangerous place? Yeah, let's just forget about the fact that many of them did not have husbands, they died during the war, or they were just too poor to leave. Damn Bible thumpers, they were probably clutching their pearls. Outsiders of Dogtown would say that they heard strange thundering noises in the direction of Dogtown, even though there were no storms. They also saw lights flying through the woods at night. People also said they saw figures flying through the woods late at night. 
in their minds who would be out this late but witches and those hell-bent on doing no good. Luce George, Molly Stevens, Judy Rines, Peg Watson, Molly Jacobs, and Tammy Younger were all alleged witches who lived in the area. Tammy had a fearsome reputation. She was pretty and plump. Well, that's rude as fuck. She was also a profuse cursor and would give a piece of her mind to anybody who crossed her. She was queen of the witches. She made butter, rum, held card games, read fortunes, and accommodated lawless men. It was said that Tammy was able to bewitch the local oxen and horses that were traveling on the bridge near her home. They would stop on the bridge and wouldn't budge. Tammy would then approach the local and offer her help, for a fee, of course. Nothing in this world is free. And with one look from Tammy, the animals would begin to move. When local farm boys would cross Tammy's path, she would have them bring her water and wood. The boys would do whatever Tammy asked, fearing that if they didn't, she would hex them. Tammy would sell the butter that she made at the harbor. She only had two cows. Locals said that there was no way they could produce enough milk for the amount of butter that she was selling. So she had to be using dark magic. Yeah, that makes total sense. Tammy died on February 4th. 1829 at the age of 76 and it says that she still lingers in the area of Dogtown. Peg Watson was another accused witch. She was said to be a shapeshifter. She would turn herself into a crow and could ride a broom. Why would she need to ride a broom if she could literally turn into an animal that flies? That makes zero sense. According to a 1921 New York Times piece on Dogtown, they accused Peg of flying over a camp of soldiers, taking the shape of a crow. And one soldier shot down the crow with a silver button. At the same exact time, Peg fell in her home with an injured leg. It is said the doctor removed a silver button from it. This was in the fucking New York Times. How ridiculous is that? Luce George was Tammy's aunt. She was said to curse wood piles on the carts of the townspeople, making them fall out until she received a portion of the wood. They're always blaming some shit on us women. Oh, the times. All these idiots literally make my head hurt. Why don't you just try securing your wood a little bit better? Problem solved. Judith Rhines was also an alleged witch. She was a less threatening witch, but was problematic due to her witchy lifestyle. She had many friends, but she got this label due to her association with Cornelius 
Black Neil Finson, a freed black man who lived in Dogtown. She had shared her home with Finson, and they maybe had a romantic relationship. She also tended to a flock of geese, told fortunes, picked berries, and cleaned homes, anything that needed to be done to survive. Roger W. Babson, an entrepreneur and founder of Babson College, described Younger and the other witches as sharp, business-minded women and insinuates that they could have found great success if they were alive in another time. The Werewolves of Dogtown Agawam Indians lived on this land first. According to local lore, it is said Agawam Indians had dog-like shaped heads, and the cause of this was that the natives had eaten a local plant that caused them to take on canine features and traits. I would love to know the name of that plant. When the first settlers arrived in the area, they came across a massive amount of large wolves that were more ferocious than any other wolves they had ever seen before. In the 1800s, there were whispers and stories of gigantic beasts who walked upright and fed on animals in the area. The dog-like beasts were as big as a man or larger, and people avoided the area at night in fear of meeting such creatures. Fast forward to March 17, 1984, a tourist from Boston was exploring the cliffs near Dogtown. This is when he saw something large moving down below him. He thought this creature could be a mountain lion. It was huge, moving on all fours and very fast. Upon returning home, he notified local wildlife officials about what he saw and fear of the people who lived in the town. The wildlife officials informed him that there were no mountain lions in the area and had not been in many years. So then what did this man see? March 20th, that same year, hikers came across a carcass of a deer that was ripped apart on Crane Beach, not too far from Dogtown. The sheer violence inflicted on this deer was disturbing, but none of it had been eaten. But what attacked it? The hikers reported the deer to the authorities. Later that afternoon, the same two people reported seeing a gray, monstrous, dog-like animal running into the woods near Dogtown. Throughout the years, there have been sightings of large creatures moving through the woods, feral packs of dogs or wolves that have been seen traveling to the area. These dogs or wolves have huge statures and will rise up on two legs. They also torment the area. There are claims that the descendants of the first dogs that lived in Dogtown turned into werewolves that stalk the area and still protect their homes. This makes me sad. This makes me so sad. 
I would have saved every stray dog in Dogtown and loved them. The Suicide Abraham Warft was born in Gloucester on July 17, 1738. He was a very successful sheep farmer in Dogtown. By the age of 24, he married a woman named Mary Allen. In 1814, all his children had left him, and this prompted him to crawl under a large boulder, slit his throat, and ultimately commit suicide. This came to a shock to many people as he was very smart and had a lot of friends. The Murder On a rainy morning on June 24th, Annie Natty, a school teacher who lived on the edge of Dogtown, set off on foot to Rockport to see her friend Linda. She was an avid hiker and hiked through Dogtown all the time. Joined by her was her trusted companion, her dog named Woofer. However, Annie never arrived at Linda's house. By noon and no sign of Annie, Linda called Annie's husband and brother-in-law. They would search the Dogtown area. At about 7 p.m., beloved Woofer led Annie's husband to her body. Annie was face down on the path naked with part of her yellow rain suit tied around her neck. The police were called to the scene. Her head up to her ears were covered in leaves as if the body had been pushed into the ground. Peter Hodgkins, who went to Dogtown frequently, flew onto police's radar. I'm going to read directly from the court documents, the Commonwealth versus Peter C. Hodgkins. A warrant for Hodgkins' arrest was issued June 28th, on a Friday, and June 29, 1984, Hodgkins surrendered at the police station. Hodgkins said he saw Annie on the trail while he was riding his trail bike that morning. He followed Annie, threw her down on the ground, and bashed the back of her head with a rock. He then carried her into the woods. He said he thought about raping her when he removed her clothes, but denied doing so. He did say he hit her in the face with a rock. In a panic, he ran, lost the bike in the woods, but would eventually find it. Hodgkins even did a videotaped reenactment of this vicious murder. Annie's autopsy later showed multiple fractures of her head and face. He will remain behind bars at the medium security prison in Norfolk for the rest of his life. This was such an unnecessary, brutal murder. The Hauntings at Dogtown There is a spirit of a woman begging at the entrances of some of the paths. She is said to curse people who carelessly walk past her. Howling wolves, or even werewolves, are heard by nearby neighbors often in the distance, late at night. People have felt a strange presence when in the Dogtown area, as if they're being followed or watched. Equipment failures and an eerie calmness takes over the area. A woman dressed in all black has been seen, 
and when people try to get near her, she disappears. A large black cat stalks visitors, but will also disappear. People report feeling as if they are in another time. Time slips. People have overwhelming feelings of sadness and despair. In the 1930s, Dogtown Commons was a ghost town. Roger Babson, who founded six colleges, created a trail of over 30 boulders etched with inspirational sayings called the Babson Word Rock. The rocks had inscriptions including Help Mother, Stay Out of Debt, Loyalty, Never Try to Win. This was during the Great Depression. Babson, who was a millionaire, supported this project, hiring local masons, providing them work when there was none. Dogtown is now a park hiking area, so wander around Dogtown, but always have a map and even have a compass with you. You can easily get lost. Take the Boulder Trail and find those inspirational quotes etched into the boulders. There are also cellar holes that exist in Dogtown. These are what is left of the homes from the original settlers. Be careful, do not fall into any of these. There are markers that mark these cellars. Number 19 is Molly Jacobs, one of the alleged witches. Marker 24 is Abram Warfs, the man who committed suicide. You can find a list of all the cellar markers at the official Gloucester, Massachusetts website, gloucester-ma.gov. Pack some snacks and have some water. Go earlier in the day. The trails aren't very well marked, just in case you get lost. There will be plenty of daylight to find your way back. There is a gun range outside of the park, so don't be alarmed if you hear some shooting. Go by the Gloucester Visitor Center. They have maps and more information about the trails and also about the markers. The trail has swamps, fogs, and tons of rocks everywhere. Experience the home of the witches and the werewolves. Don't ever hike alone and keep an eye out for any ghosts and those spirits of the witches that are supposed to haunt the area. To get to Dogtown, take Route 128 North to Grant Circle, a traffic rotary in Gloucester. Turn north on Route 127 Washington Street towards Anisquam. In one mile, take a right on Renaud Street and follow it to the end. Bear left onto Cherry Street and turn almost immediately into the entrance to Dogtown. Up a steep drive on the right. Public parking is available on both sides of Dogtown Road before the gates. For a guided tour, information, and reservations, contact Sienna McCarthy and D. McCainis at 978-546- Eight one two two, or walkthewords.com.
since our final destination is extremely close to the Dogtown area, I'm going to give you some unique, fun things to do in Massachusetts. Just a note, the beaches in Gloucester are some of the best beaches in the area. Parking is limited and you do have to pay to park. Go to the paper house located in Rockport. Construction of this house started in 1922, but it is not your typical house. This house is made from newspapers. The walls, decor, furniture is all made from varnished newspapers. About 215 layers of newspapers stuck together using homemade glue made from water, flour, and apple peels. This isn't something you see every day, and you can still read some of the newspapers. It is only $2 to go inside. That is wicked cheap for anything in Massachusetts. Go to Martini Junction. This is a model train set up in the Needham Town Forest. It consists of 120 feet of tracks. It has a station with a human scale table and benches and other random miniature pieces of scenery. If you are lucky enough to visit the junction when its creator, Jim Metcalf, is there, he is likely to unlock the remote control train and run it around the tracks. He can also answer any of your questions. This is a cute, neat little area. I'm a huge Rob Zombie fan, so go to Haverhill, the hometown of Rob Zombie, and see his name on the town's welcome sign. Rob Zombie's sign can be found on the section of Route 110 called Amsbury Road in front of the water treatment plant on Kionza Lake. The Salem Witchboard Museum. I love Salem, Massachusetts. I used to go every single year for my birthday. I'm an October baby. It's the best time of the year. This museum is dedicated exclusively to the lore and history of Ouija boards. This place has the largest collection of Ouija boards. And while you're in Salem, stop by the Satanic Temple and go by the Seven Gables House. Proctor's Ledge is the place where they hung the Salem witches. And this is not in Salem. This is actually in Peabody. So if you're trying to go to Salem to see where the witches were executed, you're in the wrong area. Go to the Ashland Witch Caves. These caves are deep in the woods in Framingham. The trail map has it listed as caves. This was the hiding spots for those who were accused of witchcraft in Salem that fled. Marker 43 is close to the caves. Sarah Clay's was accused of witchcraft as long as her Sarah Clays was accused of witchcraft and so was her husband. They took refuge at the Ashland Witch Caves after escaping. Unfortunately, two of Sarah's sisters were accused as well 
and they were executed. While in the area, go by the Devil's Den. It is behind the high school's football field on a cliff. The Puritans said that the devil lived here. Those people were batshit crazy. This is one of my favorite places, the Pine Ridge Pet Cemetery in Dedham, Massachusetts. I love this so much. I love all animals, and they all deserve a resting place. This is the resting place for over 20,000 pets and companions. They include dogs, cats, horses, birds, lizards, rabbits, and so much more. Adorning the graves are inscribed headstones and funerary decorations created and placed with the same care and attention to detail as human graves. If you are anything like me, you will probably start crying when reading the headstones. It's just so beautiful. And not to mention the amazing pines that surround the area. Lizzie Borden's two Boston Terriers are also laid to rest here. Go see the dinosaur footprints of Hoyoloke. The tracks can be found along a short trail that starts at the turn off of Route 5 in Hoyoloke. The main track site is a tilted slab of sandstone just next to the road. More prints can be found on rock slabs along the Connecticut River. Be extremely careful. The rocks can be slippery. Stop by Pony Henge in Lincoln, Massachusetts. Unless you have been to this place, I don't think there's anywhere else like this. The first pony showed up in about 2010 and nobody knows who placed the rocking horse there. But this would start something truly magical. Horses of all shapes and sizes, even a duck rocking horse, live there. These were all somebody's special things, and some have been donated by families that have plaques on them. This brings out your inner child, and your children or you get to enjoy these beloved horses. They're all in a circle on the side of a road in the middle of nowhere. It is free to go there, but there is no parking lot. You will need to park on the side of the road, and this is a public area. The address is 39 Old Sudbury Road in Lincoln, Massachusetts. The Quincy Quarries. This once was a death trap after the quarry shut down due to flooding. People would jump off the cliffs and a large amount of people died doing so. The quarry would close down until the pits were filled in by the dirt from the Big Dig. Do you know anything about the Big Dig? I swear the Big Dig took years, like almost my whole life worth of years. At least that's what it felt like. Now the quarries are covered with graffiti art, and you're welcome to spray your own art on the rocks or climb them. The Quincy quarries are linked to the Blue Hill Reservation trail system and is open to the public. The cliffs look really cool. They're covered in this amazing 
vibrant art. And there's a bunch of trails you can walk around and just enjoy the quarries. Bash, Fish, Falls, in Mount Washington. Say that five times fast. This magnificent waterfall has an 80-foot drop into the shallow creek below. This is in the southwestern portion of Massachusetts. You can see New York from this area. It is also one of the most deadly waterfalls, killing 25 people who have either slipped off the rocks or have jumped in thinking the pool below was deep. And it is not. It is very shallow. It is also home to a Mohegan legend. A native woman was accused to cheating by her friend, and she wasn't, so her friend is a bitch. She was then tied to the canoe and sent over the waterfall. Nobody saw her body, and the canoe hit the bottom. Just a bunch of butterflies flew up in the air. Her body was never found. This state park is a stunning place to see. And when you go to the waterfall, please be careful. You do not want to slip and become part of the death toll at the area or part of the local legend. The Dr. Seuss Museum. This is in Springfield, Massachusetts. How nostalgic. This brings me back to being a kid again. This vibrant, beautiful, and fun place. I could spend hours here. And remember, I'm not a museum girly. But with this one, I am. They have exhibits that are all based on different characters and events in Dr. Seuss's books. They aim to invite kids into the world and discover the joy of reading. And once you're done in this awesome museum, don't forget to check out the Dr. Seuss Garden with life-size bronze statues of the Grinch, Cat in the Hat, Yertle the Turtle, Sam I Am, and the Lorax. Go over to the museum and the gardens and fill your hearts with pure childlike joy. This would not be an episode on Massachusetts if I did not tell you about my hometown and all the areas that I went to while growing up. So I lived in Franklin, and right down the road was Rentham, literally right down the road, and it took about three minutes to get to Rhode Island. It's weird. But in Rentham, there is this gem called the Big Apple. The Big Apple is an apple orchard. Either me and my sister or me and my friends would walk up the road. We would go to the Big Apple where you were able to pick raspberries, blueberries, and blackberries and get paid some cash to do so. It was not a lot but it was to us. Inside the Big Apple, they have freshly made candy apples and caramel apples, fresh pressed apple cider, produce, and fruit from the farm. 
nostalgic candy, including candy buttons, maple candy, local honey, and maple syrup. Muffins, turnovers, so many baked goods. This place was heaven, and it even smells like it. The main attraction to my childhood heart was their donut machine. Watch the donuts come down the conveyor belt. And this is not just any plain old ordinary donut. This is a fresh apple donut. Watch your delicious treat come down and have a fresh, warm, delicious apple donut. Some of my favorite memories are here at the Big Apple. Words can't even describe how amazing this place is. And this is one of the best hidden gems in Massachusetts. You must go by, grab yourself some fresh apple donuts, some amazing baked goods, and local produce. The address is 207 Arnold Street in Rentham, Massachusetts. Right down the road is some of the best candy you will ever have. And you will never guess where it's at and who makes it. The amazing sisters of Mount St. Mary's Abbey make some of the most divine, mouth-watering, God's gift to us candy. It looks like they even have a website up so you can order some Trappistine quality candy. This is hands down some of the best chocolate and sweets I have ever had. They're caramels. Chef kiss. I'm not a fan of dark chocolate at all, but these nuns have converted me. I'm about to order some candy online right now. Do yourself a favor and do it too. Butter, nut, munch, simply munch, almond brittle, fudge, chocolates. I cannot wait to order some. These nuns don't just make the best candy, they are innovative. They have a wind turbine that powered the monastery, a geothermal system for heating and cooling the candy, and solar fields that supply the building and the town of Franklin with power. Their abbey is truly amazing and I highly recommend visiting it. It is beautiful, surrounded by amazing old trees. And it's best to see it when the leaves are changing color in the fall. You can get your candy directly from the store there. The sisters are making candy as a means to be self-sustainable and have clean energy there to do it right. Next time my sister comes down to visit, I'm going to have her bring me some candy. It's now about a 15-hour drive away from me, but honestly, it's worth the drive. The Abbey's entrance is open from 9 to 5.10 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 9.30 to 4.45 on Sundays. A sister is available to serve you beginning at 9 a.m. 300 Arnold Street in Rentham, Massachusetts is the address. Their website is www.trappis.com. T-I-N-E candy.com. One of my other favorite places is Hang Tai, 
This is in Franklin. And where I'm from in the South, Chinese food is complete garbage. Or at least anywhere that I've been to. And it makes me miss Hang Thai so much. Their crab rangoons are the best I've ever had. And they have these spicy peanut butter dumplings. Oh my god, they're so delicious. They're dumplings in this creamy, spicy peanut butter sauce. I can't get enough of them. I have not been able to find any spicy peanut butter dumplings anywhere else. Everything is made from scratch. And every single time I go home, Hang Thai is one of the places I go to right away. If I could get some of their food shipped overnight to me, I would. The original location is in Franklin, and I highly recommend going to that one. There is another location in Medway. The address is 28 East Central Street in Franklin, Massachusetts. You will not be disappointed when you go there. The Douglas State Forest is another great place to go by. I used to go there all the time. There is 5,525 acres to the state forest. It's a great place to walk your dogs. There is a pond as well if your pups like to go swimming. They also have swimming, boating, fishing at the Wallam Lake. There's hiking, horseback riding, cross-country skiing, and snowmobiling on miles of the Woodlands Trails. There are also boat ramps. They have a pavilion, boathouse, swimming beach, interpretive center, picnic area, and restrooms. You can spend your whole day there, have a picnic, go swimming at the beach, take the dogs out, go on some amazing trails. The Douglas State Forest also includes a rare example of Atlantic white cedar swampland. A five-acre portion of this is swamp and is designated as Massachusetts Wildland. It is accessible to the public via a boardwalk trail. Side note, you may lose cell service while in the parks. Right near this area is the Indian Ranch Campgrounds in Webster, Massachusetts, with a lake that nobody can say. This campground is a really cool campground that has a ton of concerts during the summer. This year, some of the main headlines are Kip Moore, Randy Hauser, and the Mavericks. They have a full lineup on their website, and it's just a really cool place, especially if you love to camp. It has a fun setting, and you get to see a free concert while you're there. They also have the Indian Lake Princess Boat, that you can take a tour on. It is located on the lake that nobody can say. Here is a Google translation of the lake's name. Seriously, the name is 45 letters. And let me give you that translation right now. Like I said, nobody knows how to really say it. If the translation app is even saying it properly. Go to the drive-ins in Menden. 
The Menden Twin Drive-In was built in 1953 and opened June 14, 1954. A second screen was added in 1998. It is now a New England institution and one of the top drive-ins in the country. Sitting on 16 acres of beautiful tree-lined land. I love the drive-ins. I know not everybody has a drive-in where they live. And this is something you must do. Get there early so you are able to get a good spot. And check their website, MendonDriveIn.com, to see what movies are playing. You will need to pick which screen you want to watch. Each screen has two movies that play on it. Unfortunately, you're unable to move your car to see the other screen, so pick wisely. They have Ernie's Ice Cream, Pop's Beer Garden, and Judy's Snack Shack. So you have some yummy treats that you can have while you're there, or you can just bring your own, minus the alcohol. It's $33 per car, so pack in your family and friends and go to the drive-in. You can't beat that price. At least six people for $33. If your car is that big, you can't see a movie for that price. It's located at 35 Milford Street in Menden, Massachusetts. Now, this isn't a non-touristy place, but I had to mention it. It is one of my absolute favorite places to go to. Providence Town or P-Town. It has amazing beaches and food. The best shopping is there, especially if you're looking for jewelry or some fun things. It is an LGBTQ plus friendly area. Their flag is the rainbow flag and they accept everyone. There are awesome bright colored buildings and it is an extremely lively area with a huge art scene. One of my favorite places ever. Forget Boston. Boston's lame. Go to Providence Town. They also have some amazing food there. So when you're there, get some delicious food at Cafe Heaven. Get some of their delicious raspberry pecan pancakes. Their brunch, lobster benedict. Everything there is delicious. There is the Crown and Anchor. Make sure you go to the Divas by the Sea Drag Brunch. That's an all-you-can-eat buffet. And if you have never been to a drag brunch, you are missing out. They are so much fun. There is the Providence Town Portuguese Bakery that has amazing fried dough. Make sure you eat it while it's hot. My stomach is literally growling right now. As you know, I love baked goods. So go to Connie's Bakery and Cafe. Everything there is made from scratch. You cannot go to Massachusetts without getting lobster. So go to the Lobster Pot or the Patio in Providence Town. Get some fresh catch lobster. Always make sure you check the market price because it can get costly. You also have to get a lobster roll. One of the best lobster rolls you can get 
is at the Blue Marlin in Essex, Massachusetts. There is also the Fresh Lobster Company in Gloucester that has some of the best lobster rolls and fresh lobster. Also check to see if they have early bird specials. If you go and eat early at some places, they have lobster at a discounted price. And now it is time for our final destination. Let's get wicked. We are heading to Peabody, Massachusetts. It's about 18 minutes away from our first destination in Dogtown. Peabody is a cute small port city that has a lively downtown area. Each year, the city hosts its international festival in September that attracts tens of thousands of people. It is right next to Salem, and Peabody did have their own role in the witch hunt. They killed three innocent residents of their town that they accused as witches. Peabody is home to John Proctor and Elizabeth Proctor, who were accused of witchcraft. This led to John's hanging on August 19, 1692. Thankfully, Elizabeth, who was pregnant, was freed before she was executed. You can visit their house, but this is not where we're going to. We are going to the Puritan Memorial Park, plot section S, lot 374, grave number 2, the final resting place of Albert DeSalvo. Albert was born on September 3, 1931 in Chelsea, Mass. He was a Virgo, which makes a lot of fucking sense, actually. He was a vile man who began his crime spree in Boston and then moved on to terrorize cities in Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and New Hampshire. He is a serial rapist and a murderer known as the Green Man. He is also the man who confessed to being the Boston Strangler. He was one of five siblings who had an alcoholic father who abused his mother. His father was a disgusting prick who would bring home prostitutes and have sex with them in front of his family. He was also an extreme wife beater. One time, Albert's father knocked his mother's teeth out and then broke her fingers one by one while she was laying on the floor unconscious. That poor woman. I wish somebody had helped her. Domestic violence is no joke and should be taken seriously. Albert's father even sold him to work as a farm laborer along with two of his sisters. This sounds like a horrible man to be around. His childhood by no means was easy and no one deserves anything like that. And you can feel bad for the young Albert. He was innocent. So was his mom and his siblings. Albert spent his life in and out of prison for petty crimes and violence. Then he would join the U.S. Army. And he became a middleweight boxing champion among the troops in Europe. 
It is in Germany where he met his wife, Ermgard Beck, and he would bring her to the United States. Sadly, Ermgard gave birth to a daughter who had physical disabilities, but the family held it together. Ermgard knew how much of a sex drive Albert had, but was too afraid to have sex in fear of having another disabled child. That is so sad. But eventually, she would give birth to a healthy baby boy. Everything seemed to be going well, given Albert's horrific childhood. But not everything was quite as it seemed. In the 1950s, Albert would be dubbed the Measuring Man. He would go door to door, claiming to be a representative of a modeling agency, asking the women to measure them. He would then fondle and violate them while he was doing his measurements. He did this to a lot of women and was arrested on March 17, 1960, and he spent less than one year in prison. This has to stop. There needs to be more prison time for people who violate, molest children and women. They never get enough time. It's disgusting. Of course, his crimes would escalate and he would become the green man. This vile man terrorized the women of New England for two years, breaking into their homes and raping them. Yeah, how did that less than one year of prison time work out for you guys? Not very well, because he had about 300 victims. He would be identified by one woman by his green handyman outfit. We all knew escalation had clearly happened, and it usually doesn't stop once it starts. He was arrested for the rapes in 1965. While at the Bridgewater State Hospital, he confessed to being the Boston Strangler. Between June 1962 and January 1964, a series of grisly murders took place in the Boston area. All 13 victims were women. All but two had been strangled. The victims of the Boston Strangler ranged from the ages of 19 to 85. I am not going to go into detail about how these innocent women were killed. It was brutal, and if you want to know more, you can look it up yourself. Albert's wife just couldn't believe that he was the Boston Strangler. Lady, he was raping women, breaking into their homes, and had a con of where he pretended that he was a modeling representative, measuring them to fondle them and violate them. Why is this so unbelievable? Denial. Which, you know, is just. I don't know how I would take it, knowing that my husband could be the Boston Strangler. She believed that he confessed to being the Boston Strangler for money from the press. He did have two kids at home that needed to be provided for. So the story is, while he was at the Bridgewater Hospital, he met a charming, manipulative murderer named George Nasser. They made a deal 
that one of them would confess to being the strangler and they would split the proceeds. Albert would describe the murders in great detail, but there was no evidence linking him, so he was never convicted. Albert, at the age of 35, was sentenced to life in prison for the sexual assault, burglary, and robbery, and was sent to the Walpole Prison. I have driven by that prison a few times, and as of 2022, due to it not being up to code, it is due to close in two years. To bring the prison back up to code would cost $22 million that they do not have funding for. Anyways, November 1973, Albert told his doctor that he needed to see him urgently with information about the Boston Strangler murders, but he would never make it to his appointment with his doctor. He was stabbed to death the night before at the Walpole Prison. Many people don't believe Albert was the Boston Strangler and that his murder was a setup to cover up who the true Strangler was. The Strangler murders did stop after Albert's imprisonment and death. So we are going to fast forward to the 2000s. A nephew of Mary Sullivan, the Strangler's last victim, pushed for DNA testing. In 2001, Albert was exhumed, but there was not a DNA match. And then in 2013, the police got a hold of Albert's nephew's DNA and Familia DNA showed strong evidence that Albert could be the strangler and he was exhumed again. And when DNA testing was performed this time, it was a match. Albert, in fact, did murder Mary Sullivan, the final victim of the Boston Strangler, proving to many that he was the Boston Strangler. But the other victims had no DNA so the case remains unsolved. The police are convinced that it was him. It makes me wonder if Albert's life could have been different if he had a different father or no father at all. If none of those things happened to him during his childhood, would he still be the same killer? This is what fascinates people with true crime and serial killers. We want to know why. Is it nature versus nurture? Is it something that somebody's just born with? In the end, both sides lost. 13 amazing women lost their lives and their families lost amazing mothers, daughters, sisters, grandmothers. And on the other side, Albert's two children and wife, Albert's actions would affect generations of families. Familia DNA hopefully is going to continue to solve cold cases. And I'm sorry, if you're trying to commit a crime, good luck. Because there's a good chance that somebody in your family somewhere, the 23andMe or another DNA testing site, and your DNA is in a database. So just don't commit any crimes. So while you are staring at the grave, of Albert DeSalvo, do you think he was the Boston Strangler? Regardless, he was a serial rapist 
and at least a murderer of Mary Sullivan. While you're standing over Albert's grave marker, think of the 13 victims and innocent lives that were taken. Anna Slessers, age 55. Mary Mullen, age 85. Nina Nichols, age 68. Helen Blake, age 65. Ida Igra, age 75. Sophia Clark, age 20. Jane Sullivan, age 67. Patricia Bassetti, age 23. And Patricia's unborn child. Mary Brown, age 69. Beverly Sommons, age 23. Evelyn Corbin, age 57. Joanna Graff, age 23. And Mary Sullivan, age 19. You will never be forgotten. And this concludes my episode of Wicked Wanderers. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate everything you guys do. And as always, wander more and stay wicked. Bye. Thank you for listening to Wicked Wanderers. If you could please rate and review, five stars would be amazing, especially on Apple Podcast or Spotify. This helps others find my podcast. I write, edit, and produce this podcast all by myself. If you wish to donate to the cause, you can at patreon.com slash wickedwanderers. You can do a general donation, or I do have a monthly Patreon subscription. There is a bonus episode posted. If you have any places that you have traveled to or any fun things that you've gone and done, please email those to me at wickedwandererspodcast at gmail. Pictures of all the areas discussed will be posted on my Instagram at wicked underscore wanderers podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I love each and every single one of you.